are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. So we got to the end of recording this episode and realised that we hadn't really answered the question when to give, but rather than just retitling it, we're going to call it when to give. It's more about our attitudes to giving. So we hope you enjoy listening to this one. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Where Your Treasure Is. We are continuing our season on giving and are looking at the biblical principles behind that, but also at loads of practical matters to do with giving. So Simon, what aspect of giving are we looking at today? Today our topic is when you should give, when you should give. Okay, so I'm going to imagine that you're going to tell me to give all the time, whenever I can. Ah, well, it depends on how you define your giving, doesn't it? So once again, I think this time we're going to be focusing probably on mostly financial giving, but some of these principles will certainly expand into all the other kinds of giving that we have already spoken about. Wonderful. And Simon, I know you like to set the scene for us, so paint us a picture, get us in the frame of mind for our topic today. Happy to do so, Beck. So... I want you to imagine to begin with that you're in church on a Sunday morning, maybe a Sunday evening, maybe online. And whoever is teaching from the Bible that day, they stand up and they say, I have four points in my sermon today, and they all start with the same letter. Well, my initial reaction is that I'm disappointed that it's four points, because I think if you're going over three points, you're really just filling time, aren't you? (laughs) And then what letter do you think I'm going to use today, Bex? Uh, Well, it's got to be P for me. Most topics in the Bible seem to be presented in a three-point sermon, all starting the letter P. I'm thinking passionate, I'm thinking prayerful, pastoral, patient, persistent. I could go on. You are well practiced on your P's, Bex, but none of those things really answer the question of when you should give. So whilst the Bible does have a lot to say about our current season on giving, this one is going to be a four-point talk And our unifying letter is going to be D. Sorry, Bex, I did try. D for disappointing. (laughs) I hope not. I'm going to talk about four broad categories of givers in the world today. And they are dedicated, disciplined, deliberate, and desultory. Or is it desultory? I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. Desultory? Is that even a word? Have you made it up? I would like some evidence, please. I didn't make it up. I was thinking of words like those who give sporadically or ad hoc or inconsistently. And so I went to my thesaurus and it turns out that desultory, a quick look at my editor. Does that sound right to you, editor? Yeah, desultory. We're going to go with that one for our pronunciation today. It actually has quite a good description of what I mean. Okay, so give us your description. Convince me that desultory is meant to be in our podcast today. So this isn't a linguistics podcast. However, I did discover that desultory is originally a Latin word, and it refers to a circus performer who would jump from one horse to another. Quite a cool act. And I'm going to use the word to refer to somebody whose giving is irregular, inconsistent, not fundamentally deliberate or disciplined. I think the circus story has got me bought in on the term, so I'm willing to give it to you. So before we dive right into the detail, to set the scene so far this season, we've talked about why we give, what we can give, who we can give to. 
how much we should give. And then in the middle of all of that was a double episode on how to give efficiently. I thought we'd therefore covered all the bases of giving so far. And indeed, that's where most people would stop in their consideration of giving. And that's what this episode is all about. It rounds up all those factors we've spoken about and suggests some ways that we can convert the theory of giving into giving with effective impact. And then after this episode, our final episode of the season, we'll look at the impact of giving. So what it actually does and encourages that all this consideration of giving is worthwhile. So Simon, I'm going to give the floor to you. Tell me more about the circus horse swapping givers to begin with. Thank you, Bex. Okay, we have already mentioned on the podcast how some of the influences of our giving are actually out with our control. Perhaps that street collector who approaches us or the person who comes knocking at the door fundraising or even a friend or family member looking for some sponsorship. And in those moments, we might feel that social pressure to give, even if the cause isn't something we are particularly passionate about. Now, giving in those moments might be to assuage the guilt of not giving, being seen as greedy or selfish, miserly or even stingy. And many people really care a lot more about what others think about them than actually what they're giving to. So that is just one way in which someone else's opinion of us influences our behavior and maybe the regularity of our behavior of giving. And isn't that interesting that so often the more minor things in life, like the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the kind of holidays we go on, are a visible demonstration to our social network of our income or our priorities or how we view ourselves. But giving doesn't really work this way. It's pretty unusual to see someone posting on their Twitter account or on Instagram or X, if we're going to call Twitter that now, how much money they give to charity every month. And in fact, doing that would more likely engender opinions that are prideful or egotistical or vain. Those very characteristics that we're trying to convince people don't actually apply to us. So it feels like we're in a bit of a catch-22. If we don't give, some people might think poorly of us. But if we do give and then let everyone know, even more people will think poorly of us. Just maybe this is one of the reasons that Jesus exhorted us to let our giving be done in secret. But then I would have thought, Simon, that if pride and vanity isn't our main motivation for giving, then any giving to charity would be good. It doesn't really matter what other people think of us as long as the charities in question raise the money that they need. And there is a whole lot of truth in that. But just giving when you feel pressured into it, whatever the source of that pressure, or giving when you feel like you're in a generous mood, well, actually, it isn't ideal for you or for those charities in question. This leads to that desultory giving I was talking about, where you possibly feel worse about yourself even after you have given. It leads to undisciplined giving, and that isn't very good for your budgeting, is it, Bex? It's not, and we all know how important having and sticking to a budget is. And if you want a refresher, you can refer back to some of our earlier episodes. And it also means that charities don't have the ability to plan their finances effectively because they're dependent on all this irregular giving. So it also affects their budgets. So are you saying people who only give in this desultory way should just stop giving? No, that would be a backward step. And maybe consider that 
as the first level of giving maturity. You've started to give, and, and that's good. But there is a whole lot more grace that can be achieved in this adventure of giving. I like the sound of that, the grace of giving. How then can we progress to this next level of giving maturity? So for the purpose of this podcast, level two giving is deliberate giving. And this is where we start to take control of our giving, make it more purposeful, and actually primarily for our own benefit at this stage. What do you mean by for our own benefit? Surely giving is always for the benefit of the charity we're giving to and not us. Well, having made the decision to give, we want to start to rid ourselves of the consequences of desultory giving. By being more deliberate, we can remove some of the guilt that might be associated with generosity. We can plan to deal with those moments when we're asked to give unexpectedly, and we can align our giving with our wider financial planning within our budget, say. Now, we've already touched on some of those topics, and I'm thinking that a giving policy could well be the answer to our problems. You know, the set of rules or guidelines we talked about that we can put in place for ourselves to help us decide who to give to, how much to give, and maybe even when to give. I think that's exactly right, Bex. A giving policy is a great tool to protect ourselves from some of the disadvantages of giving. Having a policy in place that says how much you're going to give protects you actually from giving too much away and maybe frustrating your budget. Which, of course, all our loyal listeners are now adept at following. Or giving away too little and then feeling guilty about it on the occasions that you do give. Instead, we can give with certainty that we are giving what we have chosen to give and feel confident when we do give. And a giving policy can also guide us on who to give to and who we don't give to. We spoke about that a couple of episodes ago. Having time to consider what causes we do or don't want to give to can ensure that in those moments when we're asked to give, we can reply no or sometimes yes in the confidence that we are giving in line with the opinions and attitudes that we have considered when not under pressure to give. So this giving policy, whether it's written down and quite formal or just in our heads, becomes a protective measure for us. Now, of course, this will mean that some charities that you might have given to in the moment will now not receive a gift from you, and, and that's bad for them. But other charities and causes which you have greater connections with or greater passions for will probably receive more. In the long run, you will feel better off having given to the causes that you care more about. So if that's deliberate giving, which is one step up from desultory giving, what's the next level up? Well, in Simon's hierarchy of giving... You just made that up, didn't you? <laughs> I did. But, however, <clears throat> a quick web search has identified that a 12th century Jewish scholar named Maimonides, or Maimonides, not sure about that one either, beat me to the idea. By about 800 years? I'm just going to gloss over that. He, Maimonides, had eight rungs in his ladder of giving. Right, let's have a little interlude and hear about Maimonides. Maimonides, I can't say that name. It's not Marmalade, Bex. <laughs> Maimonides, can you say it again? I think it's Maimonides. Maimonides. Great, just needed to hear you say that. Any Jewish scholars out there, please tell us how to pronounce Maimonides or Maimonides, or I don't know. Anyway, let's hear about Maimonides' 
eight rungs of giving ladder and we'll see how close she got, Simon. Fair enough. Okay. There are a few variations of this that I found online, but here is one. Rung one, you give begrudgingly and you make the recipient feel disgraced or embarrassed. Not great giving. Rung two, giving cheerfully, but giving too little and not in proportion to the need. Rung three, giving cheerfully and adequately, but only after being asked. Rung four, giving before being asked, but when the giver and the recipient know each other or know who each other is. You might not know them before you've given, but you do eventually. Rung five, giving when you don't know who's going to benefit, but they find out or know who you are. Some kind of referred glory, maybe. Rung six, giving when you know who benefits, but they don't know who you are. Semi-anonymously. Rung seven, we're getting pretty high now. Giving when you don't know who the recipient will be, and they don't know who you are either. And to be honest, I thought it would stop there, but he has rung eight. Rung eight. When you give money, or you give a loan, or support, basically you give anything that enables that person to become self-reliant. So these rungs of giving seem to be taking a slightly different tack than yours, Simon. But if your hierarchy of giving has still been quoted in 800 years, I'm willing to chalk it up as a success. But for now, we are going to end our interlude and return to level three. What is level three? Level three is disciplined giving. And how exactly is that different from deliberate giving? Or are you just trying to add a few more rungs to catch up with our Jewish scholar friend? I hadn't come across Maimonides' ladder before, so I'm happy to stick with my four levels for now. I might find some more Ds as time goes by. He didn't have one letter like I do. So the way I've defined it, deliberate giving focuses on the facts of giving. The who, the how, how much, maybe even when. But disciplined giving focuses on the acts of giving. Oh, that's very nice. I like that. The facts of giving versus the acts of giving. You don't get that in the eight wrongs. You don't, do you? Bit of alliteration again. It's, it's a big step to choose to give. Fantastic. And, and then a step to choose how much to give and who to give to. But it's another really important step to actually give. Now, good old Maimonides. I like that you're assuming he was older than you, given the life expectancy in the 12th century. I'm now ignoring you, Bex. (laughs) Maimonides had giving before being asked as rung four out of eight. But imagine living in biblical times. Now, he was a 12th century Jewish scholar, but I want to take you right back. How would it have been possible to give without knowing who was doing the giving and who was doing the receiving? They didn't have the modern mechanisms of giving that we do today. And in fact, according to a website, uh, charitywatch.org, an article they published, there was an old Jewish tradition where beggars, those who needed to receive generosity, would congregate all in one place. And then those who were wealthy and willing to give would congregate next to them. The givers would then all turn their backs on the beggars and throw coins over their shoulders. And that way, the beggars wouldn't know who had given them and therefore wouldn't have any obligation to them. And those who were giving wouldn't know who they'd given to either. They had reached rung seven on Maimonides' ladder. It's pretty high rung. But for us, the penultimate level is not just giving, but giving in a disciplined manner. Now, we're generally advocates of doing things in a disciplined way, of thinking things through, of planning and then putting them into action. 
Is this what you're thinking here? Yes, we have started to give. We've put together some kind of giving policy or have thought of a giving plan, and now it's time to put it into action. This is where some of our advice from episodes three and four of this season come into their own. If you want to give with maximum impact, allowing your money to have the greatest effect on those around you, then giving well demonstrates a high level of giving maturity. And so we're thinking about using gift aid, setting up regular giving to the charities we've chosen, taking our tax position into account when we decide exactly how much to give and when to give it. Exactly. And if any of you have listened to all of the episodes in this season so far, then you may well have matured in your own journey of giving already. Putting some or even all of our suggestions we've made in place will mean that you have certainly done more deliberate and disciplined thinking about giving than you had before. But we've not yet reached the top of the full maturity giving ladder. So Simon, what is the ultimate characteristic of giving? So I am putting dedicated giving at the top. If you were to review what the Bible says about giving, then much of its teaching would fall into those categories of deliberate and disciplined. And then there's a whole lot more talk about our relationship with God through giving. If I was going to draw a parallel between biblical attitudes, then I would align dedicated giving perhaps with sacrificial giving. Well, those two words clearly don't mean the same thing. So how are you going to align them for us today? Okay, so sacrificial giving might simply be defined as giving that costs you something. Well, of course, all giving costs us something. When we give something, we don't have it anymore. My belief is that much giving is is actually given out of the excess that people have when all of their needs have been met and maybe even a good number of their wants have been met as well. They're either sacrificing very little when they give or actually they're sacrificing money that really costs them nothing. They still have the same standard of living and lifestyle. Only when we give as much as we can and then even more... A quote from 2 Corinthians about the Macedonian church, if I'm not mistaken. You are not mistaken. Well done. Only then can we truly be considered sacrificial givers. Being a dedicated giver, in my simple frame of reference, is when the cause we are giving to becomes so important to us that we want to give more and more. We want others to give to that cause. We want it to prosper and succeed and be willing to find ways to help and support that cause in any way we can. We are dedicated to it. So it becomes more than just a choice to give, but more like a passion to give. Those people who always seem to be finding ways to fundraise for a particular cause. Those people who support every event, who volunteer and give up their time and expertise. Or, taking you as an example, Simon, people who set up businesses to be able to give even more to charity. Absolutely. All of those above and more. Dedicated givers built on discipline and deliberation. Or is it deliberateness? I don't know. Both of them, probably. Become the lifeblood of charities and churches across the globe. They become champions and advocates for the causes they're passionate about. They make a much bigger difference than just putting their hands in their pockets now and again when they're asked to. But isn't there a bit of a conundrum here, Simon? 
It's impossible to be totally passionate and committed to lots of different causes, isn't it? People who are dedicated to one charity are likely to give less to other causes. So isn't that harmful? Doesn't that mean that less is given overall? I don't know the answer to that, but my gut feeling is no. Those who give passionately to one cause end up giving much more than they would if they were giving half-heartedly to many causes. Their efforts are more directed, more concentrated, and the end result, probably, is greater impact. Now, at the risk of preaching, I think this is why my own giving is so focused on the local church. I would much prefer to be a passionate supporter of where God is clearly at work and less passionate of supporting causes that are good causes, but might not be God causes in the moment. Now, that said, dangerous territory here, I know some people who actually need to give to other causes rather than their local church to find God at work. If that is the position that you find yourself in, and it's actually a position that I have had family members find themselves in, then my exhortation to you is be the change, if you can, that you want to see in your local church. Can you get to see God at work? And and then, I suppose, as we know from the title of our podcast, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God is the treasure we're looking for. And then effectively, our heart follows and somewhat our money follows after that as well. Church growth through evangelism, through church planting is one of the most powerful kingdom movements that there is. So I try to be dedicated and disciplined and deliberate about my giving to God. And I certainly try not to be a desultory giver. And there endeth the sermon. (laughs) Thanks, Bex. Just kidding. It was really helpful, Simon, and particularly thinking about those four rungs and maybe different areas or different aspects of the topics we've talked about in this season where sometimes we can slip into one category or another. It's really helpful to have that visual picture of what that can look like. So we are rapidly approaching the end of our season on giving. This is our penultimate episode. And next time, if you're listening in, We're going to spend a little bit of time telling some stories. And I am particularly excited about this episode because isn't it so helpful and doesn't it encourage us to give more when we hear about the impact that money is having in spreading the kingdom of God, in allowing people a safe place to sleep or a job that allows them to provide for their family. It's just really exciting. And if you have stories about giving in your own life or things that you've seen, we would absolutely love to hear them. And you can let us know those stories by either emailing us at whereyourtreasureis at freerangepodcasting.co.uk or you can drop us a message on Instagram at whereyourtreasureispodcast. Well, thank you, Bex. It's been lovely chatting with you again today. And I'll catch you next time for Where Your Treasure Is. Goodbye. See you then. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.